Welcome to the firehouse. Um, I do want to just give a special thanks to those that were on the warehouse team yesterday. Um, if you guys, yeah, give them a round of applause. You, you, you can tell who they are if you go up to them and grab their shoulder and they wince in great pain. That's, uh, that's one of the signs. The other one, you might check their ears like Jeremy said. I find a little dust in there, among other things. Um, so uh, anyway, thank you guys for your hard work. I stopped by uh, yesterday evening just to see how it went, and it's, uh, it came a long way. It looks great in there. I appreciate everyone's effort. It's kind of a team, team effort in different parts and components there. Thanks for, uh, where's the, the painting guys? Greg, Sirkin, some of you that did the, the logo again. That, that looks good. Anyone seen the logo on the building yet there? That's, that looks nice. Unfortunately, like a couple of days after we had the logo up, somebody tagged it, but um, but then they repainted it. So we'll we'll figure out something. I'm thinking about some of those video cameras. I was talking to Zach. There's a fan club has these video cameras that are kind of motion activated, and you can put them on different settings. Like you know, one setting once it's activated, you'll hear the sound of a dog barking, or you'll hear a, you know someone say you're being recorded now, or something like that. We we might get sophisticated here. Um, but anyways, we'll go ahead and uh, transition here. One one thing I want to leave you with uh, before we jump into kind of some lovey-dovey stuff, I want to leave you with a, a deep theological question here. This is one that my son asked me the other day. Uh, four-year-old Justice asked me this. He said, um, said Dad, said, if God's so big and we're so small, how are we going to hug Him? And I was like, oh, that's... And I didn't have a good answer for a while, but eventually I came back with, you just hug them with all you got, son. Just hug them with all you got. So it was a, that was a great question there. The kids will keep you on your toes, I tell you. So, um, but we're going to go ahead and pray. We're going to kind of introduce this series that we're going to start here and, and open up um, the book of Ruth here as well. So it says, well, let's just bow our heads and ask God to meet us here. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do just thank you for this opportunity to meet this morning, to worship you, um, to just to hear from you. God, I pray that as we open up your words today in, in the Bible, that you would speak to each one of us. You tell us that your word is living and active, and um, it works on those. It, it uh, works on those who believe. And I just pray your word would work on us this morning. It would change us. It would transform us. Lord, I also just thank you that we have the the right to meet today freely. Um, I've heard that it is a, is a national day of prayer for the persecuted church. And we just heard from a, a Chinese woman yesterday that just said there's times that, that when their church had to jump around to three locations in one day just to complete their service because they're being pursued by, by the government. So I thank you that we're not being pursued today. I thank you that we can worship you freely today. We ask you to meet us here. We ask that you make this time worthwhile for you, Lord, and for us. To help us to be men and women who just grow as your disciples because of even this time this morning. We just ask you to make this possible through your grace. Give us ears to hear. That challenge us, convict us, encourage us, whatever is on your agenda for each one of us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, um, we are starting a series here that um, we're going to hone in on it as we go. Uh, kind of the concept is going to be a little bit um, called crazy love. Um, 
also known as Crazy in Love uh, for the first week of the series. Um, but what we're going to look at is some love stories from the Bible. And we're going to look at some things, some facets of these stories that I think in our day and age, this day and age that we live in by a lot of people, some of the things we're going to look at here, people would consider crazy. They would consider like, why in the world? That's so strange. That's so out of the norm of what's going on in this world. And so in that sense, we're calling it crazy love. It, it, it may be crazy to some, um, but it's kind of a crazy, awesome sort of love. But um, we're going to start this series in the book of Ruth. If you have a house Bible, that uh, should be one sitting nearby you, but it's page 258. Page 258 in your house Bible. Um, I was thinking about doing the whole story here, Ruth and Boaz, all in one Sunday morning. And then I, as I was studying it, I realized it's like more than twice as long as the book of Jonah. Each chapter is easily twice as long as the chapters of Jonah. It took us one month to do Jonah. So we're going to do something twice as long in one-fourth the period of time. You know, that would probably make for crazy love series as well, just crazy in general. Um, but we're going to cut Ruth into two parts. We're going to do... I'm going to cut her into two parts. We're going to, we're going to cut this, this uh, reading of the book of Ruth into two sections this morning and, and next week. And then we'll continue also with some, some other love stories that don't happen to be as long in, in the Bible there. So, But um, let's start. What we're going to do is just read through a chapter. I'm going to draw out some points from it. And then we'll read the second chapter. We'll, we'll hit some, some points on that as well. And then we'll, um, that'll be our morning here. So if you guys would, Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. The man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Ephilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. They went and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other, named, and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both uh, Malon and Chilion also died, and Ruth was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the, the Lord had come to the aid of his people, providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. She kissed them and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept together. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, 
Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me ever, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you from me. And Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her. She stopped urging her. The two men, so the two women went, went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. The women explained, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabites, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So there's kind of the, the backdrop for this story here. That's quite a... I just can't even imagine being in Naomi's shoes or being in Ruth's shoes. I don't want to imagine being in Naomi's husband's shoes either. That would not be fun. Um, but the backdrop here is they were, there was famine in, in their homeland. So they left and they went to Moab. And while they were there, Naomi lost her husband. And her son's married, but then she lost both of her sons. And just uh, in bitterness, she decided, you know, there's food back in Judah again. I'm going to head back. And these girls were coming with her. You know, can you imagine they're, they're on, the, on the roadway there, you know, I didn't say the highway, they're on the path, the trail headed back to her homeland. And, and they have this whole conversation. Well, while they're on the trail, they're packed up, ready to roll, and there's this weeping. And, and uh, you know, Naomi tells them, guys, go back. Go back to your families. Go back. Don't, you don't have to go through this. This is my deal. And, and they both said, no, we're going with you. We're going to stick with you, Naomi. And then she's just, you know, she's talking through why, why they should go back. And, and something happened there. One of them went back and one of them stayed. You know, one of the points we can come away with just from that alone is that some people are loyal. Some people are not. And in Ruth, we see an example of crazy loyalty is what I call it. Ruth was a person of extraordinary, of crazy loyalty. The easiest thing for her to do was to go back with the people she knew, with her family. I mean, that's not such a bad idea. Go, go back, but she chose to cling to Naomi. She chose to stick with Naomi. And, you know, like I say, in this day and age, to have someone that's so loyal, so committed to you, that even if it meant leaving their home, leaving their family, that they would stick with you, and that's a crazy sort of love. And that's a... Extraordinary sort of love. People around here, you, you don't see that so often anymore. But Ruth gives us an example that will be remembered for eternity here. I think I mean, it's interesting, the words that she say here, sometimes I love the song we sang this morning, Where You Go, I'll Go. I mean, it's basically Ruth's song that we sing today. It's an overflow of her uncommon loyalty. And um, But she ends with that phrase, you know, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates me and you. You know, those words we hear, sometimes those words are so strong, you hear them at the altar on a wedding day. That's how strong this sort of committed love was that 
that Ruth had. Now she wasn't getting married or anything to Naomi, but she modeled a type of love, a type of loyalty that our marriages could use today, that relationships today could use. You know, I like that ask the question, you know the statistics going on in marriage today, there's a variety of numbers out there, but in general they divorce today for a, a newly married couple, uh, divorce chances of divorce are uh, from the, the lower numbers, a 25% chance one in four people who got married this last semester, one, one out of four is likely to end in divorce that's the low numbers, the high numbers go up to one out of three will end in divorce uh, the numbers are even worse than that. If you take every marriage that exists today, first-time marriages, second-time marriages, third-time marriages, um, and the more often you've been married, the, the numbers just start to skyrocket for the chances of getting divorced again. But if you take those, all marriages existing right now, there's a 50% chance they will end in divorce. And, you know, I like to ask the question. Some of you have heard me ask this question before, and if you have, don't answer it, please. Let the others wrestle with it for a little bit. But um, do you know what the leading cause of divorce is in this world today? Do you know what the leading cause is? Someone, someone? Money, money's a good... What's that? Adultery, communication. Uh, any other one? Those are all good ones. And, and you're on the right track. But ultimately, the leading cause of divorce today is someone who says, till death do I part, and they do not keep their word. And there's a lot of reasons why they don't keep their word. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's, I just didn't know this person. Maybe it's, there's all sorts of reasons. But divorce, ultimately the way it happens, is someone does not keep their vows, and they say, let nothing but death separate us, for better or for worse. For whatever the reason, they don't keep their word. And that's a tough thing. Myself, I don't know if we could split a show of hands of how many of you in one way or another have experienced a case of divorce. Many in this room would raise their hand. I'll spare you that, but I thought I would be immune to it. My parents were married for over 34 years. Five kids that they raised. And I thought, you know, we're one of the families that made it. After 34 years, they decided not to keep their vows anymore. And it was hard. And I was out of the family. I was out of the house. I had a wife, kids, and it was really hard for me. I know some of you have experienced even harder situations. But at the root of it, there is someone who's not keeping their word. What I want to say here, though, is you want a relationship that lasts in this day and age. You want one that, uh, you know, makes it through these crazy times. You need to have a crazy loyalty an extraordinary loyalty and we are blessed to be a part of churches that have that sort of loyalty in marriage uh, I've shared the statistics recently our, our association did a study on the divorce rate just because they were hearing all these numbers out there and how bad they are and after they got back um, you know, through the churches they just did surveys and uh, they found that our, our association of churches is experiencing less than 3% divorce rate amongst people that are are married in our churches, are following Christ together in these churches. That's an extraordinary result, but a lot of it comes down to men and women who even, this was not even a marriage situation Ruth was in. Men and women who are committed to one another. We were blessed yesterday to be a part of a a leadership time, kind of a front-range leadership time where people were just sharing different things. But one of the things that really touched me was a man that got up there and just said, um, he became a Christian back in Ames, Iowa, and he was just sharing, you know, I've been following Christ for 30 years together with these people. And he was just sharing just how 
awesome it's been to follow God with these people. He went on just into tears to say, and you know, it's even gotten to the point where my daughters are in this, this group of leaders today, is what he shares up there. He was just in tears that it kind of gone full cycle, that he had been loyal with these people, loyal to his wife, and his daughters had taught that same thing, and he was in tears sharing. And later on, the same time, uh, in the same little uh, leadership conference, John Meyer got up, the pastor of Fort Collins, and he said, you know, I remember when the first time I heard his name, this guy that was sharing. So I remember the first time I ever heard his name kind of come on the radar screen there in my world. And they said, you know, there's this guy, you've got to pray for them. He says he's so depressed that he's thinking about taking his life. And they prayed for him. And they shared the good news about Christ with him. And he got saved. And over 30 years now, he's been running for the Lord. He's got a number of children that are running for the Lord as well. But that's the type of loyalty I'm talking about. That would do your marriage real good. That would do your life good, whether you're married or not. Ruth was not there yet, but she gives us an awesome example of that. And um, So we just need to learn. She was a, a person of extraordinary loyalty. Are you? I want to give you a proverb to chew on here. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 5. This is one that... Um, I just find kind of challenging sometimes. You can turn it with it if you want. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5, oh, verse 6 actually. And it says this Many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find. At first, you might go, What? Unfailing love, faithful love? What do you mean there? Other translations put it like this Many claim to be a loyal friend, but who will keep their word? My translation is many claim to have a loyal love, a faithful love, but who really sticks around? I, I don't know how many, if I had a dollar for every time someone says, Yeah, I love you. I love your church. Uh, you know, I'm going to be with you guys for, you know, forever. And they leave. Maybe they found an easier path. Maybe circumstances got hard. But I want to let you know you're also sitting in the midst of, men, of a room here full of men and women who have that type of loyalty who are committed to one another in that sort of way I want to let you know that's a crazy thing in this day and age but I hope that you catch that I hope you catch that from Ruth I hope you catch that in, in your following of Christ here because you're with the right bunch of people if you really do want to try to live that out um, so anyways there, that we'll, we'll move on from that but that's the type of loyalty that um, will make a marriage that will last that will stand the test of time in this crazy world where they're just falling apart one out of two, one out of three, one out of four you know you don't have to be married to go through the pain of a divorce many people live uh, as if they're married and they still have it fall apart they didn't take the vows but you still pain's not any easier there's other statistics that show if you live together for a certain amount of time and you still get married your chance of getting divorced is even higher than these other stats that's a rough world, man. We do live in a crazy world. But I hope we can catch this here. Um, we're going to look at chapter 2 now together. There's a few, that's the main thing I wanted to pull out of chapter 1 here. It was just this amazing example of loyalty. Many people say, I'm, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to stick with you. But she said that and, and she did it. Orpah said that. I'm going to be with you. And she turned back. We said, I'm going to stick with you. And she did. Will you be like that? Um, chapter 2 here let's read this together we've got a few points from that and we're done there let's see uh, this is first one you might say is kind of meet Ruth 
Ruth enters the scene. The next chapter is kind of like, uh, now enters Boaz. I like to think of Boaz for a nickname. You might want to call him Bo, you know. Um, I think of Bo like the French name, B-E-A-U, Bo, Ruth and the Bo. Um, but, you know, I don't think they, they didn't have the French going during this, this season here. But anyways, um, Ruth and Bo. Uh, now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite just said to Naomi, Let me go in the field and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. And she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. And um, they called out back. They called back. Um, Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, Which young woman is that? And the foreman replied, She is a Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in, in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting it and follow along after the girls. I've told the men not to touch you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She explained, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother, your homeland, and you came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May the Lord be richly, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and spoken kindly to your servant, so I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stocks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. Uh, she carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she would gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That is one of our close, uh, one of our close, rel- that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite just said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. 
But Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest was finished. And she lives with her mother-in-law. Alright, starting to get a little saucy. Um, no, not really, but... Uh, you know, there's a number of things we can look at here. We've got a couple points we're just going to try to draw out. But the first one, we're going to take a quick look at Bo here. What was Bo like? What was, what's going on in his world? Um, you know, I love it. This starts off the whole thing that Boaz was a man of standing. You know, you might say he was a man of good reputation in that place. He was a man of maturity, a man of standing. Some might say he was maybe a man with some age. Um, some of you might not know this, but when I was in the process of trusting God for a wife and praying about, you know, who I might marry, and then eventually Morgan kind of came on the radar screen as, as she had moved out to Colorado from Moab. And, uh, no, just joking. She came from Iowa, Nebraska, something like that. Um, but I, I took a personal interest in this story. He was a man of standing. He was a little maybe older than Ruth was. Uh, maybe he would have been a long shot, but... In the end, things worked out good for Bo. And I was praying that they would work out good for me. Um, but, but I read this story, and there was a lot of good things in it. And there were a lot of things I saw in Ruth's life that I go, you know, I noticed these things in, in that young lady's life. And there were a lot of things in my life that I go, boy, I hope I could be like Boaz, a man of standing, a man of good reputation, a good name, a man of maturity. I love how, you know, he goes out there and, you know, Boaz asks the foreman of his harvesters, you know, whose young one was that? But, but he was a man who had his own business in such a way that he had foremen working for him. You know, there's sometimes you work for a foreman. Sometimes you are a foreman. But Boaz had foremen working for him. You know, you don't do that just lightly. He probably worked his way up the ranks to get to, the, to be that man of standing. And if you think about it, when was the last time your employer, your boss came up to you and said, The Lord be with you, man! When does that happen? Not too often. Even if you have a Christian boss. I know some people have Christian bosses and they go, well, they say they're a Christian, but uh, not much of that going on. Um, when is the last time you said to your boss, hey, bless you. I want to be a blessing to you, boss, because I'm a Christian. That was Boaz's work world that he had cultivated. He cultivated that environment. That's what type of man he was. That's what type of man you are. Man, are you a blessing to your boss? Some of you might not be bosses. If you're a boss, are you a blessing to others? Does your relationship with God bless other people? Or do they even know you're a Christian? I just want to say to some of you, if you go into the workplace, tomorrow, there's people who don't even know that you're a Christian. That ought to change. That ought to change real fast. So, not that you get out there and start yapping it up, but if they don't know you're a Christian, I think something might be missing there. It wasn't missing in Boaz's life. I'll tell you that much. And as a Christian employee, and when's the last time you thought, how can I bless my boss today? Is that what you think Monday morning? Lord, let's go see how I can bless this guy today. Some of you actually work for Christians. Some of you work for Tim Cavanaugh, Christian pastor. You better bless him tomorrow. Don't you ask yourself, Lord, can I bless my boss today? But that's what Boaz, that's what his world was. It goes on. He was a man of responsibility as his foreman. He was, um, you know, the point I have here is that Boaz was a, a person of maturity and character and blessing to others. That was an overflow of his relationship with God was maturity, was character, was blessing to others. 
I love this. He, he's you know interacting with Ruth here. He meets her. He's talking to her. You know this verse 12 here. He's kind of saying, you know, it says, May the Lord repay you for what you've done. Uh, may you be rewarded. You know the reality of what's going on right there? Most scholars say what that is is a prayer. Boaz met this young woman from a, another country. You know, and on the totem pole in their society there, being a woman was, was not real high up there. But being a woman from another country was not really, that's like the lowest thing there. And Boaz brings this foreigner alongside and says, Hey, let me pray for you. You've come to faith in the Lord. I want to bless your relationship. You've taken refuge in the right God. He was a blessing to this young woman's faith. Not with any ulterior motives. Doesn't even mention anything there, but I think he was a blessing to other people as an overflow of his life, his walk with God. Are you a blessing to other people like that? That's a great example to us all. Sometimes, you know, people might not ever know you're a Christian. Sometimes you, you might be undercover Christian. Boaz was not undercover. He prayed for this person the first time he met him. That's kind of just crazy. We could probably use a little more of that sort of crazy love in our world, in our church. Um, but Boaz had it. That's the type of bow we're talking about here. Maybe you want to be a bow. Um, let's see here. Um, so, so this is the type of person he was. You know, obvious question. There. And you know what? The, the neat thing about some of these character qualities is these are true of Boaz. And that was true of Ruth. But some of these character qualities overlap. You don't have to be a woman to be as loyal as Ruth was. You can be a loyal brother, a loyal man to others. You don't have to be a, a man to be a woman of character, a woman who blesses others as an overflow of your life. You could do that. Are you, are you doing this? Is, this is the, the foundation they had going into their relationship, and it was awesome. Um, let's see another thing here. So that was his blessing there. Uh, third point, you know, this is this one I think is pretty humble about Ruth is that she was humble and a hard worker. She was humble and a hard worker. You know, I bet Ruth was an extremely capable woman. I know she was hard working just by looking at this. But you know what she did? She came to town and somehow she had heard, you know, the Old Testament law says that, hey, when you're harvesting, by the way, leave a little extra grain out, a little extra wheat out for the poor people so they can come to your field and they can pick it up. You know, don't squeeze every cent out of your field. Leave some for the poor people and for the foreigners that are in your country that might not have the same opportunity you have right now. But um, she went to work. You know, she could have been like, hey, Naomi, I'm tagging along with you. You know, you've got a little savings here. I'm just going to bomb off of you for a while. So what did she say? Immediately she hits the ground and she says, Naomi, I want to go to work. I heard about this gleaning thing, this labor for poor people. Sign me up. And she goes there. And the, the people are talking about her. She, she showed up this morning. She's worked steadily and she took one break today. Oh, Ruth was a hard worker. She was humble. And she was a hard worker. I love how it says, and she, she gleaned in the field until evening. And then she went home and picked up her feet. No, and then she went and took the things that she had gleaned and she threshed out the, the wheat and the barley. Took more time. She worked even harder. What a woman of character. She was humble. You know, sometimes we can be one or the other. We go, I'm, I'm a hard worker. If the conditions are right, I'm a hard worker. If it's my favorite job to do, it's what I was skilled and educated to do, I'll work hard. And I'm proud of it, too. I wouldn't do any other job but this job because I'm good at it, you know. That's, we can maybe work hard and be proud of it. But she was humble. She, she worked hard and she was humble. She's like, you know, gleaning. 
Gleaning was not glorious. I don't know if you get a sense of, wow, she got to glean. You know, it was not a real glorious deal. And she stepped right into it because she was a woman of character. She was humble and hardworking. Men and women, the obvious question, are you humble and hardworking? It's an awesome example to all of us. She was. Um, let's see, let's look at the next thing here. We're going to flip back to the bow here. One of the things that um, some verses here we can look at together about Boaz here is just um, if you look down to verse chapter 2, verse 9. Um, says this. Um, he, tells, he tells Ruth, Watch the field where these men are harvesting and follow along after my girls. I've told the men not to touch you. You know what would have not been uncommon in that time for a foreign woman? To be in a place where people would have taken advantage of her. To be in a place where they would have taken advantage of her sexually. They would have taken advantage of the fact she was a foreigner from another land. They, they could have really done some harm to her. They could have really hurt her. But not in Boaz's field. Boaz said, I told these men not to touch you, not to mess with you. They're going to take care of you. They're going to treat you right just like they do these other women who work for me. He goes on to say, hey, hey, even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Gather, pull out some of the stocks and leave them. You know, in a good business, you're probably thinking, I don't want to leave anything behind. I want to gather it all. And he said, hey, by the way, when you're gathering up these bundles, take them out and throw it on the ground. So when she comes, she's working hard. She can gather it all up. What a blessing. What a blessing he was. And you know, some people could have been like, hey, leave that alone. Wait till we're out of here. They could have had a real attitude towards this foreigner and this woman. But not in Boaz's world. Not on Boaz's clock. Goes on down here. Naomi even knew about this guy. Naomi says, it would be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls because in someone else's field, you might get hurt. They're not going to treat you like that somewhere else. Stay here with Boaz. This will be good for you. He's a safe man. Boaz is a safe man, a man of honor. Are you, man? Would you be a safe man to be around? You have ulterior motives. You got a track record that proves uh, maybe when it comes to how you honor women sexually. Maybe you got a track record that proves you're not a safe man. You're a dangerous man. Maybe a predator. Boaz was not like that. Boaz sought to protect this woman and to honor her and to build her up. I just can't even imagine this. She's this foreigner. She's working so hard. She's gathering. And she's thinking, wow, more grain. This is awesome. More wheat. I'm doing great. And it was great. But it was directly because Boaz said, hey, by the way, show this woman a little mercy. Show her a little extra kindness. And she gathered a huge amount. She was working hard. You know, it says she gathered an ephah of grain. You know how much that was? You need it. No, um, no, they give a little footnote at the bottom of your thing here, but it says um, that was roughly 22 liters of grain. She gathered it up, she beat it out, and that was the grain that was left over, 22 liters. Can you imagine? Take a two-liter jug and take another one and another one and another one. And you get the idea, 11 of them. And put them on, like, you know, wrap them up in a sheet and throw them on your back. That was one day of work for Ruth. But, but he helped her out. He honored her. He treated her respectfully. Man, are you safe men like that? Now, I think of safety. I'm thinking, you know, obviously physically. Hopefully you're a safe man. You're not physically abusive to others. 
But I'm especially talking about emotionally and sexually. Sometimes men like to get out there and flatter. Oh, you're so wonderful. You're such a hard worker. You're so beautiful. And Boaz could have just laid it on for his own personal gain. Man, are you like that? Are you a man who flirts with others? Are you a man who emotionally, you get a high off of someone else's wife, someone else's woman that's not yours? Are you a safe man? In this church, you better be. I'm not afraid, you know, as pastors, sometimes we have to have awkward conversations with men and say, hey, I notice how you're treating my sister over there. I'm going to ask you to stop. And if I see you do that again, I'm going to confront you again. And sometimes people might go, wow, that's awkward. But I want to tell you something. You know, that's a better conversation to have than to talk to a woman who had an abortion because some guy took advantage of her and now she is in extreme guilt because of what happened to her. That's a much more awkward situation. It's a much more awkward situation to talk to someone whose family has been destroyed because of adultery because someone wouldn't confront them up front. I don't mind the awkward conversations for the Lord's sake. And if you're not a safe man... I might have a conversation with you. We are blessed to have a church full of men who have a higher bar than the rest of the world. You know, the reality is, when I first started coming to church, I probably wouldn't have been called a safe man by my own definition. I had an ulterior motive. I was like, okay, I figured out something in life. I know that chasing Christian women is better than chasing non-Christian women. I'm moving on up in my morals here, you know. But I thank God there were some men that had a higher bar than that. Some men that pulled me aside and said, hey... Not in this house. You don't relate to my sisters like that. And they helped me. And they helped me grow. And they helped me change. And I'm so thankful that there were safe men who helped me out. You know, and God brought me to a point where in my college years I was drinking. I was chasing girls in the bars. And I treated women real disrespectfully. And, and I showed up in this church and I became a follower of Christ. I got saved. I had some men helping me out. And it ended up being the case that we started, a, I was a working single at the time back in Colorado State. And we started a student group up there in 1996. And at the time, gather up all the laborers, there were roughly five to ten of us, depending on how you counted them. You know, depending on what sort of math you use there. But, um, no, um, but there were just a handful of us, you know. And it was a small little group, but we were united. And God had changed my heart, and instead of being a man who was out trying to go, well, who's the cutest person around here I can flirt with? Because maybe that'll go somewhere. I started being a man who watched out for guys like I used to be. You know what? And, and there were some women at the time. There was a number of women that were godly and attractive as a part of our little startup group. But you know, God changed me. He made me a man of character through His words, through church, a church just like this. And those women, nowadays, I could go up to... Any one of their husbands. We started off with half of us single men, half single women. And I could go up to any one of their husbands. Of Mandy. Of Tyler. Of Aaron. Of Kathy. And I could look their husband right in the eye. Shake their hand and say, I treated your wife with honor and respect when she was a single woman. There's such a good feeling. There's such a confidence there. Man, could you do that? I hope you can. And if you're not a safe man, I just got one question for you. Do you want to become one? Because if you don't, you're in the wrong place. And if you do, God can graciously help you just like He helped this idea. You know? He's really helped me. And, but, man, I just want to ask you, are you a safe man? And sometimes you go, well, that's, that's good for single men. No. Married guys, sometimes, oh, married guys are safe. They're married. They already got it squared away. No, man, just because you're married, you're not safe. 
sometimes married guys you go, yeah, that used to be an exciting, passionate relationship. But now I get my high when I talk to other women. Maybe in my office. Maybe someone else's wife who I think is more attractive. Man, just because you're married, that doesn't make you a safe man. Are you a safe man? Have you lowered the bar? It's time to raise it back up again. That's what type of church we want to be. That's what type of followers of Christ we want to be. Boaz was a safe man. He gave us an awesome example of how to relate to women with honor, respect, with safety. You know, the other thing is, single or married, this is not just for men. Women, are you a safe woman? Are you someone that kind of tries to, to flirt and find out how far that's going to lead you with someone you think is attractive at the time? I know of a church situation once where um, there were some men that were interviewing for a ministry opportunity. And several men were disqualified for that ministry opportunity because it found out they had been sexually immoral in the not-too-distant past. And so they were like, you know, you're not going to be able to safely fulfill this role. But what came out later on was that more than one man had been sexually immoral with the same woman. She had a habit of sleeping around. She disqualified some men from ministry opportunities, and that's, that's their deal. That was her deal, too. Are you safe women? You flirt with guys, you try to get their heart, try to see where it goes. Goes somewhere maybe that maybe it's not pleasing to God. You need to be safe women as well. Ruth was. Ruth wasn't trying to, you know, oh well, she she dressed really modestly and got Boaz's attention because she showed him a lot of leaves while she was gleaning. No. She was a woman of honor as well. She was a safe woman. That's what type of men and women we want to be. That's a you know what? And I'll tell you, in this world, that is considered crazy. This world is a sex-saturated society. To have a high bar of safety and honor like that, that's considered crazy. That's the type of crazy love we're talking about, men and women. That's what we want to be a part of, want to continue to be a part of. Are you a safe man? Are you a safe woman? The last thing we're going to talk about here is just, um, just going to close with... There's some awesome character from this woman and this man. There's some awesome character from God. I love this line here. Some of you might have seen it. I heard a few chuckles. Um, Ruth chapter 2 verse 3. This is just... So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in the field belonging to Boaz. As it turned out. Do you think that was an accident? I love a quote from Mark Darling, one of our pastors in Minneapolis there. He says, God doesn't do random. You think it was an accident this woman showed up in this man's field? God doesn't do random. Or the other way to look at it is, cool accidents like these seem to happen to those who are looking to please God first. Wow, another accident. That's awesome. And another cool accident. It's not an accident when you're living to please God. You know, if you want to look at it that way, accidents happen. But the other way to look at it is you look to put God first. He'll bless you. He'll bring about things that you couldn't imagine. I remember just one time uh, I heard a pastor teaching about, you know, trusting God for who you're going to marry, things like that. The guy shared something, you know, it was early on in my Christian years. And he said, you know, there's a possibility that you might not have even met the person you're going to marry yet. And I was just like blown away. I'm like, hey, I've got my options figured out. i got my list. What do you mean I haven't met them? Ended up I hadn't met my wife yet. She was in the land of Moab still. Um, you know, I, I've often just, I think of my, my wife's character here. I love some of the things here. You know, it talks about later in the chapter 2 down by 11. You know, it just says, I've heard all that you've done. How you left your father, your mother, your homeland. And you came with a, to live with the people 
you did not know before. I remember my wife used to be a part of uh, you know, her church back home in Iowa and then in Nebraska, but she joined a leadership program one summer out in Myrtle Beach and she met some people who were living a different style of life, a different form of Christianity, like true Christianity. And she got a taste of that. And she had some women that engaged with her life to help her grow in some things. But eventually she left her mom and her dad and her homeland to come and move out to Colorado. And as it turned out, Definitely moved to some of you community church in Fort Collins, which I happen to be a part of as a man of standing, a man of age, something like that. So I do always like that part of the story. See, I'm about eight and a half years older than her, so I thought, there's hope, yeah. I've got a chance. It works for Boaz. It could work for me. Um, but at the time, she was just focused on living for God she was committed to God she was doing her thing I was doing my thing living for God trying to share Christ with people and it just so turned out that God kind of crossed our paths in some crazy cool ways we'll talk more about that next week but the point I want to make here is that God is sovereign He's got a wonderful plan for your life every one of you whether you're married already or whether you're not God's got a wonderful plan for your life Um, sometimes we can we can doubt that I think one of the promises that I was claiming before I was married and I still claim it today is Psalm 37, 4. It says, Delight yourself in the Lord and random crazy cool things will happen. It says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. You've got things that you desire that are godly, that are in line with God's will. Just take care of that. Psalm uh, 103, 5 talks about, there was one that also says, talking about God, He satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. You've got a desire for something that's godly. Sometimes we get in the business of going, i got a desire, I've got to kill it, get rid of it. No, you know, God gives you some desire sometimes that He satiates out of His goodness. And my wife was one of those that He satisfied my desires with amazing things. I had a desire for a godly wife and a godly family, and He gave me more than I imagined. And he wants to do the same for you. God has a good plan for you. Now, sometimes the circumstances in your life might say, yeah, God has a good plan for me, then why am I in these circumstances? You know, I think of one of the promises here, it's Romans 10, 11, that just says, anyone who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. You think that you're in some hard situations, God's not good to you, yeah, He's good to others. There's a promise that you can take hold of. No one else can have faith for you. God says, anyone who trusts me, they will never be put to shame. Now, God has a bigger picture view than we do. You know, I think about Jesus. He's a God in the flesh. He's living perfectly. Ends up, he gets caught up in this mess where they're going to murder him as a criminal, as a crook. Dying on the cross, someone could have looked at him and said, What about him? He was trusting God. They mocked him and said, I thought you said God was going to save you. It was looking pretty grim for Jesus on the cross. But guess what? In the bigger picture, three days later, he rose from the grave prove that all that that he endured was for glory was for the redemption of many maybe you're going through some hard things maybe you're not seeing the big picture God wants to use your hard situations for glory Ruth was a widow she lost her husband she moved to another land got a new start she wasn't near her family anymore God worked it out really gloriously do you trust God to do the same for you whether you're single whether you're married whether it has to do with relationships at all. Will you trust God to work out good for you? Because He promises it. Several other verses you, you might write down in your notes here is just um, 
you know, Psalm, uh, Psalm 57 too, just talks about, I cry out to God, to God most high, who fulfills His purposes for me. God's got a purpose for you. If you let Him do it, He'll fulfill it. Uh, Psalm 138.8 also just talks about how God fulfills His purpose for you. He's got a plan for you. You've got two choices. You can yield to that and experience it in His glorious plan, or you can try to do your own thing and see how it goes. Kind of see if God will work your script out for you. That's not going to be that fun. But if you yield to Him, He's got an awesome plan for you. And even in the short run, it may seem hard. You know, it even says in the Scriptures that God the Father was pleased to crush His Son because He knew the glory that would come. It may be hard now, but God is good. You can trust Him. He's got a wonderful plan. Lord Jesus, I just, I just thank you so much for your wonderful plan. Thank you for what you've done in my life, Lord. How you took me from where I was and just being a man of disrespect towards women, a man of perversion, a man of drunkenness, and you turned me around, Lord. I thank you. I praise you. I, I credit you with all of that. Lord, I thank you that you can turn any one of us around if we let you, if we yield, if we're humble, teachable, submit to you and your word, your people. God, I thank you for examples like Ruth and Boaz. I thank you that Ruth is not only committed to you as God, but to your people. Many claim to be committed to you, God, but they don't stick around with your people much. God, I thank you that you've given us a different heritage as a church, as an association, a movement of churches. God, I just pray you would help us to have relationships that stand the test of time, that don't just survive, but that they thrive, Lord God. I pray you would help us just to be considered crazy, and we would see the crazy love in the eyes of this world, but a love that pleases you and is glorious. We just ask for that for all of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for coming, and we will hit the... Ruth and Bo, part two, next Sunday. Look forward to seeing you there.